The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for his kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit shadygrovepca.org. Right, we're going to speak the name of Jesus as we look at this text together. This is Mark 2, 23 to 3, verse 6. And if we're going through the Gospel of Mark and we're starting to see um, controversy. And Jesus is bringing in a kingdom and his kingdom is at odds with these earthly kingdoms and earthly authorities and earthly powers. And we're kind of coming to an early crescendo by the end of this text we're going to see an accusation that's brought against Jesus. We'll see Jesus' answer and then his action. And that's going to lead to an alliance. And the alliance is going to be two very unlikely groups, the Herodians and the Pharisees coming together. They don't like each other, and yet they come together in unity to see how they can plot together to kill Jesus on the Sabbath, of which you're not to do any work. And they're breaking the fourth commandment in order they can violate the sixth commandment of try to kill Jesus. So these, there's really a wickedness that's abounding here because Jesus is doing something that's against the system of what they're so used to. So let's give attention to this and see how this might be helpful for our day and age as well. One Sabbath... Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, now as we consider this your word, we, Lord, we would ask that this word would read us and that it would reveal our own hearts, help us to see our own need for Jesus, we ask in your name, amen. Well, if you're new to the Gospels or to this count of Scripture, and even if you're familiar with this passage, it is a bit of a head-scratcher. I mean, you're reading about a rabbi and he's just taking a walk with his disciples and they happen to be on the Sabbath and they're going through the grain fields on a walk and they start plucking some heads of grain for a little snack and some people accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. And then on another Sabbath day, Jesus enters a synagogue and he, 
heals a guy with a withered hand, and now the, the Pharisees are forming this alliance together of how they're going to kill Jesus. And you're kind of like, what? Like, sometimes you, you read a story and you realize there has to be a context. There has to be a backstory. What's the story underneath the story? Right? There's lots of places in the Bible where if you just read something, you'd be like, what? You know, Jonathan reaches down and just touches a little bit of honey to his mouth and now he deserves to die for tasting a little bit of honey? Like, what's the backstory? You know, Uzzah just reaches out and steadies the ark and he dies? Like, what's the backstory? You know, Jephthah's daughter just comes out of the house and now she's sentenced to die because her dad comes home from war and she just walks outside and now she's going to die? Like, what's the, there's a story underneath the story. I mean, how come David's, you know, dodging spears when all he's doing is just playing the harp in Saul's house and now he's dodging spears like what's the story under the story right we've got lots of these in the bible even Joseph just has a few dreams tells his brothers about a couple of the dreams he has and the next thing you know he's he's headed to Egypt with a caravan going down to Egypt sold as a slave like what did he do right I'm sure you've discovered in certain areas of your life where maybe you're kind of late on the information loop. And I can remember, you've, maybe you've heard the story before that when I was in high school, I went on this infamous trip with my cousins to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, on vacation, and you're vacationing with your cousins. Now you look back on this and think, man, that was probably really stupid to go because you're in a trailer. Trailers are kind of small by definition, and they've invited me to join them, and nobody's told me any of the rules, any, no, none of the playing field. I take a shower, I dry myself off, I go off my merry way, and I discover that wrath has come down. Lo and behold, because I use my uncle's towel to dry off, and everybody in the whole place knew, you don't touch that towel, but I didn't know. Nobody brought me in, and I was in big trouble because I used his towel, you know? Well, I was naive. Jesus isn't naive. He knows what's going on, and Jesus is in hot water here in the sense of like he's taking it on the chin from these Pharisees for plucking some grains for a little snack and healing a story. We got to dig into what's underneath the story. Well, the Jews in Jesus' day, they... What set them apart and made them distinct as Jews is they're living in this world of under the thumb of the Romans. And they clung to two things tightly. And they had dietary restrictions and they observed certain feasts. But there were two things that set them apart. What were the two things that this is what makes you a Jew and separates us from the Romans? It was circumcision and Sabbath keeping. Those were the two things that set them apart as God's true uh, people. And it kind of makes you, of course, beg the question of, where's that in the Bible, you know? And the answer is, is actually both of those, circumcision and, and Sabbath, are a big deal in the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible, they're both established as God's covenant signs. God's covenant signs of his covenant faithfulness for his people and setting them apart. In Exodus 17, God gives the sign of circumcision that I'll be God to you and to your children. So it's a big deal. 
But then in Exodus 31, God says to Moses about the Sabbath, I've got a slide up here to go back to this. It says, the Lord said to Moses, you're to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. That's a big deal, right? You shall keep the Sabbath for it because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. So now we see the death penalty is attached to this, to this sign. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days work shall be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day. Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. Now, it is interesting that you have two accounts of the Ten Commandments. You've got Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. In Exodus 20, the reason that God gives the Sabbath is because in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth and he rested on the seventh. But in Deuteronomy 5, when Moses re-gives the law, he says the reason that you're to keep the Sabbath is because I'm the Lord who sanctifies you. Basically, I'm the one who delivered you out of bondage. I'm the one who delivered you out of Egypt. Know that I'm the one who saved you. So the first instance is because I'm the creator. The second instance is because I'm your redeemer. And it's the same today. Why should you rest on the Sabbath day? Because he's your creator. And he's, we're made in the image of God. It's a creation ordinance, just as marriage and the Sabbath, or just as marriage and work are good gifts God gave humanity. He also gave us a Sabbath. This is part of built into creation. God rested on the seventh day. We're to rest as his people, not just work endlessly. But the other is because of redemption, is that God's work of redemption is to save his people and that we're shown that you can't work for this. And we're reminded salvation's truly a gift. What works must we do to do the works of God? And the work is to believe and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that the people, the, the Pharisees were making a big, they made a big deal about the Sabbath because of Exodus 31, but they also put their interpretation upon it, okay? And so as they put their interpretation upon it, and they, you see these big things about like, you know, the death penalties attached to it, and it's a day of solemn rest. So they thought they would, you know, clarify things for everybody. And so the rabbis developed this, um, you know, interpretation of the Sabbath laws, and they came up with a catalog of 39 principal works that were forbidden on the Sabbath, okay? And so these, these rabbis, this was prior to Jesus' day, but certainly were in effect in Jesus' day, and these categories were subdivided into minor categories. For example, plucking heads of grain was considered reaping, and rubbing out the grain was considered threshing, and so here's Jesus enjoying sin. He's enjoying threshing and, and reaping. And so these Pharisees are seeing like, wait a minute. I mean, this is all that we hold dear. We hold this Sabbath so important. And here is someone who isn't following our interpretation. And so he must be under the death penalty because that's, he must be a Sabbath breaker. And so... 
what we see is that what they're accusing Jesus of is they're not accusing Jesus of stealing. Like there's a, there's a uh, Deuteronomy 23, 25 says that when you enter your neighbor's standing grain, that you may pluck the heads, of, heads with your hand, but you shall not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. So the disciples taking a walk is well and good. Even eating the grain is good, as long as you're not wielding a sickle. So what are they really upset about? They're upset that Jesus is violating what they believe is, a, is truly a violation of the Sabbath. And so what Jesus is coming to do is to restore the Sabbath. He's not trying to take the Sabbath away. He's reminding us the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Pharisees had turned this Sabbath now with all of this uh, meticulous steps that you were to follow, that they were turning it into bondage. And it was no longer a blessing that it should have been. They were turning it now into a hindrance when it was meant to be a help. And Jesus comes to restore the Sabbath here. And here he's enjoying a walk. And, it, and Matthew's account says that his disciples were hungry. And so now they're having a snack. And that was certainly, uh, they were allowed to do that. And then in the next instance, he's making it clear that he's come to restore and even heals a man on the Sabbath. And then he asked the Pharisees a, a simple question. Is it lawful to do good or to harm, to save life or to kill? And it says they remain silent. You see, he asked the question. So much of the Gospel of Mark is these questions, accusations, and Jesus answers the question with a question. Well, they're silent because how does the text end? Are they doing good? Are they doing harm? Are they saving life? Or are they killing? You see, the irony is that they're doing, they're the ones that are actually working on the Sabbath. They're working to do harm, and they're working to plot evil, and they're working to plot a murder, and they're working very hard on the Sabbath, and yet they're accusing Jesus of being the Sabbath breaker. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees had gotten stuck, and they couldn't think outside their paradigm, and if their paradigm restricts mercy, well, then so be it. Their grid has to be kept at all costs, so if the wineskins don't work for this new wine, well, you just got to get rid of the wine. And if the disciples are hungry, it doesn't matter. If the man has a shriveled hand, hand needs healing, it doesn't matter. You got to stick to the system. You got to stick to the law. As Matthew Henry, his observation of this text says, it's so common for those who deny the power of godliness to be zealous for the form. Quoting 2 Timothy 3.5. And so what we see is that this has now become a legalism. Is that any time we require more than God requires, now their system is actually adding to the word of God, and now they're adding their interpretation, but now they're adding more than scripture ever required. And that, that is what we would call legalism. It's also the same as it, no different than not requiring what God requires. We can fall off the horse one way or the other. We should, you know, many to say, well, we don't need to do anything today. We can, we can do all that we want, God's laws don't apply. And Jesus says that he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So if he fulfilled it, did he abolish it? No. He fulfilled it, but he didn't abolish it. It's, we still need a Sabbath rest as we prepare for the eternal Sabbath rest to come. We still need rest for our souls. Now, it may look different than the, the Jewish uh, Old Testament meticulous Sabbath keeping, we see this wonderful accounts in the Gospels that everything is switched to the first day of the week. 
Jesus is raised on the first day of the week. This, the Spirit of God is poured out on the first day of the week, and they keep gathering on the first day of the week and collecting monies on the first day of the week. And John's in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and Jesus comes down and he meets with the, and he has a word for the seven churches on the Lord's day. And so we're to be in the Spirit on the Lord's day, just as John the Apostle was in Revelation 1. But we have to be careful, as C.S. Lewis says, that any time... You know, it says, he says, one of the marks of a certain type of bad man is that he cannot give up a thing without wanting everyone else to give it up. He says, that's not the Christian way. An individual Christian may see fit to give up all sorts of things for special reasons, marriage or meat or beer or the cinema. But the moment he starts saying these things are bad in themselves or looking down his nose at other people who do use them, he's taken the wrong turning. And so something we think might be good for us, we make it a law for everybody else and Scripture hasn't done that, then we would be moving towards legalism at that point. And so Jesus is pointing out what he argues here is he argues that David, he doesn't say, um, what he argues is that David did violate the law. Isn't it interesting how Jesus argues this? He's saying, you made an exception for David, how much more should you make an exception for me? So Jesus is really arguing an authority issue. Think about what he argues here. So what Jesus is saying is that there was, in the day of David, the showbread, there were 12 loaves of bread, they were laid in two rows, 12 breads were for the 12 tribes, and the showbread symbolized this constant fellowship of the 12 tribes with God, and that they were receiving their bread from him. And so this ceremonial law was clear that only the priests were to eat the showbread. Yet David and his men are given permission, if you remember when David is fleeing, uh, from Saul, they're given permission by the priest to eat the showbread because the priest knew that this was the Lord's anointed and that he was on a divine mission and that he was in need. And so how much more should the Pharisees and the priests of Jesus' day have recognized this is the Lord's anointed, the one who is greater than David, and he is on a divine mission, and he and his disciples are hungry, and if a ceremonial law can be set aside for David with the showbread, how much more should this man, man-made law be set aside for human need? You see, the showbread was never so sacred as when it was used to feed the hungry. The Sabbath was never so sacred as when it was used to help those who truly needed help. You see, Paul sums up the law for us in Galatians 5.14. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So keep this in mind. Jesus doesn't say the Son of Man was Lord of the Sabbath, like the Sabbath is no more, as though it's abolished. He doesn't say the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath, as though the Sabbath doesn't apply to him. He doesn't say that either. He doesn't say the Son of Man has authority to abolish the Sabbath. He doesn't say that. You see, what he's saying is the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And so let's think about that. It's a massive statement. Philip Ryken puts it like this. He says, remember that the Sabbath commandment came from God. The Sabbath is not a human invention, but a divine institution. And God established it the, the week the world was made. He also reiterated it when he gave the law to Moses. The Sabbath came from God. It was patterned after his work in creation, and then it, he revealed it in thunder from the mountain. Therefore, when Jesus claimed to be Lord of the Sabbath, he's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the creator 
and the Redeemer. You see, and he's also claiming to have the authority to give the proper interpretation of what is Sabbath keeping and what is not. He's the final arbiter. He's the final authority. He's the one who instituted the Sabbath. He's the proper interpreter of the Sabbath. And so, and he even shows in the Matthew account, as we began the worship service, that the Sabbath finds its ultimate fulfillment in him. As, as Colossians 2 says, these things were a shadow, and now they find their substance in, in Christ. And so the call to worship as we began the worship service was, come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And it's right before these very two accounts are told. Now, what's interesting about this, for me, that kind of shed some, some new light, was uh, when my father passed and my mom and I, we sold our handicapped uh, van and we ended up selling it to a rabbi who had a handicapped daughter. And the only way that we could kind of properly go through all the channels of this is we had to pick him up, we had to take him to uh, the, the guy that was actually funding it, then we had to go through the DMV, and we ended up being with this guy for a few hours. And so in God's providence, I mean, what's the chances of a Presbyterian pastor sitting in a car with a rabbi? You know, you can see the jokes coming, you know. And we're in the car together. I mean, he's wearing his yarmulke, and he is his, knows his Hebrew. I mean, he was teaching me a lot about it. And he was explaining to me just how important to, in the Jewish system the, the, the whole concept of rest. It, it's really the sum and substance of, it's huge. And the word rest is the Hebrew word Noah. And so where Noah gets his name, we're told in Genesis 5.28, that when Lemek had lived 182 years, he fathered a son, he called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief, or Noah. He shall bring us rest from our work and from our painful toil of our hands. And the reality is Noah never really brought that. But there's a true and greater Noah that does. And it's Jesus. And so I had the privilege to say, you know, it's interesting that Jesus actually says, come unto me, all you are heavy, weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Like, it, it just rang out so much stronger, like in the context of the Jewish community, this is huge, that Jesus is this fulfillment of the Sabbath. And so I want to ask you this morning, how are you doing? Are you experiencing rest from your soul? Are you a slave to your work? Tim Keller puts it like this, he says, anyone who cannot rest from work is a slave. To your own need for success, your materialistic culture, exploit, exploitative employers, or all the above. And for some of it, it's like, you know, I, I owe, I owe, I owe, so it's off to work I go. You know, we, we've got this bigger problem called debt. But I came across a book a while back, and uh, actually Kevin DeYoung quotes it in his crazy, busy book. But it was a book by Ellen Galinsky. And the book is kind of old, it was back in 1999, but the book is called Ask the Parents. And this is where uh, she had this idea of a parental uh, report card that the children give, get to give their parents a report card 
Wouldn't you just love that, kids, to be able to grade? You know, instead of, you know, you, you invert the system, you know, and so the, the parents are actually uh, being critiqued by the children. And there's all these different questions of this report card. And the results were striking, but here's the interesting thing. You would think that quality time would be like the highest, most important thing to a kid. It wasn't. Do you know what kids wanted the most from their parents? They wish their parents were less tired and less stressed. Number one. The biggest weakness, according to kids, where where parents got the worst grades, was anger management. And 40% of kids gave their moms and dads a C, D, or an F on controlling their temper. It was the worst grade on the the children's parental report card. And the, the report basically said children are suffering from secondhand stress. Well, why is that? Because there's a work underneath the work. And the work is that we are trying to to do things that are are not humanly possible to do. We're trying to work all the time. You know, this beauty of technology is you can work from anywhere. That means you can work from everywhere, work all the time. And it's very hard to just put the stinking thing away. I remember years ago, there was a family in the church that, this was early on when I started, and she said, if he does not get rid of the Blackberry, I'm leaving. And, and she referred to it as the Crackberry. And he didn't get rid of the Crackberry, and she left. Can you put it down? Can you put it away? I mean, I say this to myself, because Kim says to me all the time, put it away, put it down. Can you leave this thing alone? Um, think about, I mean, God has made work as a gracious gift, Right? Dorothy Sayers, this provoking writer, Catholic writer, she says, work is the gracious expression of creativity. I'm sorry, let me say Work is the gracious expression of creative energy in the service of others. Work is the gracious expression of creative energy in the service of others. What a great definition. What's the problem with that? (laughs) Is we're lacking in creative energy (laughs) as we get older right? We get tired. What do we need? We all know this. I mean, we're screaming for for rest. And we don't ultimately get the rest until like Larry got it. Larry is resting from his labors. He's in heaven now. That's the ultimate Sabbath, but we are called to enter into that rest, to enter into it now. And so how can you enter into that rest now? Well, look, at, look in your bulletin in Isaiah 30, 15, and 16. Look at, look at the reflection verses, and we'll just close here with this. This is how we experience what Tim Keller calls the REM of the soul. Your soul needs deep rest, and it's only going to find it in Jesus. But our problem is, is we always want to keep working. And so God's call to the people that Isaiah says is, thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning or in repentance and rest, you shall be saved. And quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. And you said, no, we will flee upon horses, therefore you shall flee away. And we will ride upon swift steeds, therefore your pursuers will be swift. 
They're called to repent and rest. But they said, no, we, we, we will work harder. We will flee on horses. We will. And he's saying, okay, your pursuers will be swift. And so for us on the Sabbath day, part of why we need to, to experience Jesus as the rest for our souls, there is this one day a week where it's so helpful as God's people to take a break. To say, you know what? Saturday Night Live will continue to equal Sunday morning dead. And so Saturday night, I need to just chill out. Like if I stay way up past, you know, to wee hours of the night and, you know, and then think, oh, I'm just going to keep burning the midnight oil, it's going to affect on Sunday morning. And then when we get to Sunday, are we thinking it's the catch-up day to do every little thing that we can think of, the housework, the lawn work, the homework, the bills, the office bills, the paying bills, the doing the laundry, the, all the different things that we have to do? Or can we just say, you know what, this is the, the jewel in the ring of the week. This is the diamond, and I'm going to orchestrate my whole week around this day. And this day, I'm going to rest. And I'm going to set this aside as my soul needs this so I can meet with Jesus. I can create a means for grace. And the way to do that is I need to carve out some time and just let those other things go. And say, you know what? I need more than a mixed Sabbath. I need more than just microwave, you know, quick, quick drive through, get Jesus, get it done early and get back to work. We need to see what's going on. Is what, is the, what is the work underneath the work that's failing to create the rest underneath the rest that we need? And what we need is to carve out some time so that we can actually experience Jesus. And that's the beauty of, of gathering weekly as the body on the first day of the week is we're able to come together, sit under the preaching of his word, enjoy the fellowship of the saints, I found Sunday school this morning to be so life-giving. It was so encouraging to my soul because we were having such a healthy dialogue about big questions, and we didn't have all the answers. And we were able to talk through some things, and I appreciated that, that Chris, you didn't have all the, the pat answers. It was just, we wrestled through what does creation, fall, redemption, and glory look like, and then taking all these different issues of the day and putting them up there and saying, how do we wrestle through this as God's people? What is a, what is a re Christian world and life you look like? And it's, we're all not going to have the exact same answer, and that's okay in our different spheres of influence. It was beautiful. It was rest for my soul. And I just encourage you to come to him even now. Let's pray. Lord, you are what we need. We pray that you'd be what we want. Forgive us, Lord, for trying to find our worth, our identity, in our work, in our grades, in our school. Lord, you have made us in your image to take dominion. And Lord, so often we forget that we are a steward and we want to be owner. And then we find ourselves fretting with such disappointment, as we cannot take this universe on our shoulders. There are things that are so much bigger and greater. And so, Lord, we just resign afresh that you are God. You do all things well. We know that you're the one who builds the house. Otherwise, we labor in vain. We sleep in vain. Lord, would you give rest to us both physically, spiritually, we pray that you would restore us just as you touched the man with the withered hand. Restore our souls. 
But we ask in Jesus' name, amen.